In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop story. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Politically Georgia podcast, where we bring you news and analysis of all the latest Georgia shenanigans in Congress and under the Gold Dome. Today, I'm joined by AJC grizzled State House veteran curmudgeon James Salzer to talk a little bit more about the governor's race and really all the statewide races we've got. James, how you doing? Very grizzled this today. Very grizzled. Well, um, I'm very tired. We're recording this as I'm driving in between uh, Pearson, Georgia, and Nahunta, Georgia. So, so if I sound a little bit more removed than usual, that's why. You're in timber country. I'm in timber country, and I'm in Kemp country. Um, these, these are the areas in rural Georgia where, where, where Brian Kemp really needs to rack up giant margins if he wants to win the November race. Um, these are the counties that Trump carried by you know, 70 80%. Uh, Pearson, Georgia, where I just came from, is in is the seat of Atkinson County. That was the county that Trump won by the biggest margin in all of Georgia in the 2016 primary. Um, and so this is an area, it's a town of just a couple hundred people, and, you know, 150 people showed up for the Brian Kemp event just now. Uh, and I bet we'll see a lot of people at the, at the, at the rally right down the road in the Hunter, uh in a few minutes as well. I mean, this is just happening all over. Stacey Abrams is having her own set of uh, bus tour events all over Georgia as well. She's actually going not just to, you know, big urban areas, but also to, to, to conservative areas too. She's incoming and, and, and Gainesville and, and other red counties too, trying to, get, um, trying to get a lot of Democratic turnout. What do you think about that strategy, James? Well, I mean, it's, it, it makes sense um, for uh, Brian Kemp in particular to be uh, going all over rural Georgia. Um, the way the map or the voting occurred in 2016 the uh, urban areas went um, for Hillary Clinton, and um, Trump swept areas outside of um, metro land and metro areas. So, I mean, it makes sense for him to do that. Um, it's interesting. It, it, she has made efforts, in, particularly in North Georgia, and I thought that's kind of uh, – it, it's interesting. I, mean, I, think, I think both of them at this point in the race are, are – um, it, it's mostly about trying to get out your voters, and so – you know, the way to excite them, obviously, to, to get your voters excited about the race is to actually show up. Um, mm-hmm. So that makes sense. I think you're exactly right. There's, there's poll after poll after poll. Not only does it show a really close race, but also very, very, very few undecided. And at this point, it's not worth it, really, for the campaigns to try to go to persuade those undecideds out there. Uh, instead, they're trying to mobilize the people they know are going to already vote for them. I was just going to say, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think it's like 
you know, probably like one or two percent. And I think that's probably been true for like a month. I don't know that there's been, I don't know that after, after like, you know, September, there was just a ton of people who were thinking, you know, wow, who, who do I vote for in this race? Yeah. Um, so even though, even though we're going to be, you know, flooded with, continue to be flooded with TV commercials and flyers and, uh, you know, our mailboxes are going to be stuffed with, um, stuff that we'll throw in the recycling bin. Um, it, there's just, there's just, our polling is showing there's just very few people who are undecided at this point. And this is where it kind of gets really, really interesting because there's a lot of big questions out there. There is how, how, how forceful will the African-American turnout be? Um, because the larger share of the black vote there is, better it help, the more it helps Stacey Abrams. Where will the suburbs go? You know, does the suburbs end up breaking from one party or the other? They've become a lot more competitive lately. Uh, where do white, white women go? We've seen polling showing that white, white women, for the most part, are sticking with, with, um, with Brian Kemp. But the big core question underlying all this is about those somewhat unlikely voters. For, for Stacey Abrams, it's been about getting out voters who, who don't usually show up in midterms to show up at, in, in massive numbers um, in November. And for Brian Kemp, it's somewhat of the same thing. She's, he's trying to get either the so-called Trump voters, the, the, the Trump supporters who, who didn't really show up in force before 2016 to come back out for him as well. So they're both right. going after the set of unlikely voters. It's really interesting. Right. Uh, yeah, because she, I mean, and, and, you know, it's been her strategy all along. I mean, she's talked about that, I think, I think the number was 200,000 votes that she, that she said, you know, the Democrat needs to win this race. And from day one, she said, these are the people I'm going to go after. It, it, it's a, it's a, it's a, it is an interesting strategy because you have you, you, what we don't really know is how many people, for instance, 2016 uh, just came out for you know, Trump versus Hillary. What, what we do know is she's going after a lot of people who have just traditionally not not just voted in not in the midterm elections, but just haven't voted um, in a lot of these cases. So I mean, she, you know, she she spent a lot of, she has spent a lot of time trying to register voters, and so she's going after people who who may not have voted in a long time as well. You got it. And, and the interesting thing about that is you're right. I mean, she's been talking about getting the 200 or 230 or so thousand people um, she, that, that has been the gap between Republicans and Democrats these last two election cycles, these last two statewide elections. But that's also somewhat assuming the Republican numbers will stay uh, a little bit static too. And we, sure. we've seen a lot of Republican turnout going up. It's hard to tell. It's hard to read too much into early voting. Um, but we'll put it this way. Early voting is about tripled since the same time in 2014, and it's not just on the Democratic side. Uh, Republicans are very optimistic about the numbers they're seeing. They're seeing um, a big turnout in very conservative areas in North Georgia and rural Georgia in, in Republican-friendly counties. They're pointing to, too. So th- this is why this race is going to be um, right. really hard to call before November 6th. Right. Yeah, and, it, and, the, and the early voting is always kind of interesting because it, there's, there's always – not always, but there's been the last few elections, this excitement about early voting, and Democrats are usually the ones who say, uh, you know, early voting is good for us. It's showing, you know, good numbers or whatnot. Um, and uh, and experts will say, don't read too much into that. Whether it's Democrat or Republicans, you know, crowing about it, don't read too much into that because the results, uh, I, 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 I believe, if I remember correctly, it was 2016, it was, 
you know, there was this that that, that Hillary Clinton's campaign and Democrats were saying, look at the uh, early voting turnouts. This is really important for us. And, you know, obviously there, there was a lot of polling that was wrong in that race anyways. Yeah, you're right. We should be cautious about saying about looking at that and going, well, you know, that means the election's going to go one way or another. I think what we haven't really seen yet, and, and, and you may be seeing this more than I am, because um, you look at the poll numbers a lot closer, but we haven't seen uh, 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 much of a gap, you know, open up yet. We have not. Which, you, no, that which we traditionally do in these races. I mean, you know, Deal Carter was like that. You, you could see, you, you kind of sense this is the direction. Now, now the, the campaigns may have polls that show that, and, and uh, you know, um, that, that may show up in the last week. But the last week is when you, the last couple of weeks is when you generally see uh, some movement. And maybe they are seeing some movement. I just haven't seen it in, in the things I've been looking at. And here's time for a PSA. The AJC will have its own poll out, a final poll yeah. of, the, of the Georgia race at the end of this week. So stay tuned for that. But you're right. We haven't seen a big break. We've seen poll after poll after poll showing Brian Kemp up top you know, by a point or two, well within the margin of error. But we see enough polls to show him leading Stacey Abrams, which shouldn't be you know, too much of a surprise. Um, but at the same time, Stacey Abrams says at every campaign stop, don't trust the polls because they poll likely voters. They don't poll unlikely voters. And those are the types of voters she's trying to get out. That's uh, a good point if she gets them out. Yeah, if she gets them out, you know, she doesn't get them out, you know. Yeah, but yeah, it, it, yeah, that, does, that makes sense. It makes sense. But, you know, yeah. what, we, you know what, what we're, you know, what I know you're praying for is a runoff. So, you know. <laughs> you want to work another three thing. or four weeks. <laughs> that's the other thing that, you know, these, these polls are raising the spectrum. You don't want to – you're right. Usually by the end of the race, things start breaking one way or another. Um, but the other, another big wild card of that is, is the fact that early voting has become so popular um, that, you know, now in, in, in 2016 it accounted for more than half of the, of, of the entire electorate, and it's going to be – it's probably going to account for more than half of the electorate this year too – so even if things start breaking near the end uh, on election day, it still is a lot smaller proportion of the vote um, than it was, let's say, four or eight or, <laughs> or 12 years ago. Um, there's fewer people to, to, to break, you know. Um, sure. You're exactly right. I remember being on the campaign trail with Governor Deal in 14, and it, you, just, you just knew. You know, that his campaign was more confident than ever. You just knew they, they had seen polling numbers that showed it breaking. Um, we haven't seen a clear break yet. But what we have seen is both candidates under that 50% margin. Um, I'll say from both campaigns are, are very confident that, um, that there won't be a runoff because they, they, they truly believe that the Libertarians' numbers will get squeezed to about 2% or less of the, of the vote. And, um, usually and they, that usually happens. That usually happens. Which usually happens. And they feel like in the, such a polarized race, people aren't going to be, or, or, you know, even people who, are, who, who don't like either candidate, um, we'll still always pick a side. Um, but, you know, if it's, if it's 49, 49 or something like that, uh, it doesn't matter if the, uh, if, if the Libertarian's position of standing is less than 2% because we're still going to a runoff. Right, got, right. Uh, another month. And then we got the special session, and then we got, uh, you know, possibility of, uh, you know, what is, if that happens, what is, Brian Kemp do because he can't raise funds during a session, so that would you know, knock him out for a week um, in terms of raising money. Um, or so, more, right? You know, yeah, so the speculation is, you know, he would, he would resign because, um, you know, it, it, would, it would knock him out of fundraising. 
um, which obviously would be very important, I think. Um, but, you know, that's all that's all to the runoff. You desperately want to, like, spend the next uh, 28 days or whatever it is between the election and runoff uh, working 24 hours a day. <laughs> Through Thanksgiving. And we think we're getting a lot of national attention now. Imagine oh my being, gosh. You know, oh my gosh. pretty much yeah. the only race on the uh, on the ticket in December through Thanksgiving. A lot of reporters nationally will be spending their Thanksgivings uh, right here in, a, in Atlanta <laughs> or yeah. on the campaign trail, like I am. Oh my gosh. Um, but let's talk really quickly about that special session because that's that's another wrinkle in this in this campaign. Um, you know, Governor Deal uh, called a, said he would call a special session for the week after the election um, to, to shift about a hundred million dollars. In, her, uh, in, in state funds for Hurricane Michael, but, but relief, but also um, potentially the lawmakers to kind of put a nail, uh, put a nail on the uh, and, and, and finally resolve this old Delta jet fuel tax break issue. Right. They signed an executive order off session um, that they gave Delta temporarily, uh, Delta and other airlines temporarily from the jet fuel tax break. Well, lawmakers will have to go vote on that. Um, the week after the uh, the election, uh, presumably. Right, right, and that yeah, and that has you know, as Governor's staff would point out, you know, or or, or um, would agree that they don't need to have a special session to do the money part. To do the to to, to they could there's a fiscal affairs committee which essentially made up of leadership in the legislature that could vote to shift this money or or you know put this money towards. Um, uh, hurricane relief and mostly debris uh, cleanup in South Georgia, but um, but yeah, I mean I think you want he, he you know the governor wants to leave office with the Delta thing nailed down. I mean he he wants um, he's you know he he it was his I it was his push during the 2018 session to do this and you know I, I'm sure that's one of the things he wants to to you know um, click off check off his box of things that he wants to get done. Um, it, 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 you know, be interesting if both candidates for governor have already said, Hey, you know, we're, we're in favor of this. Um, which, you know, of course, Brian Kemp was not in favor of this, uh, most strongly in March of, was it March or February, excuse me, February of 2018 mm-hmm. when, when, uh, when Delta decided it was no longer going to, um, give special treatment to NRA members, you know, then it, then it was, he wanted to, uh, have a, tax-free holiday for ammunition um, to to honor the NRA. So um, Yeah, this was a now, big switch for, for Brian Kemp. I yeah. mean, he, he called Delta a corporate coward. He said that yeah. um, he said uh, he unequivocally opposed giving uh, any sort of jet fuel tax break. And then a couple months later, he says, you know what? I've got a chance to, to learn more about... I, I love Delta. This is a great airline. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best so airline ever. You know, <laughs> So yeah, yeah, things can change. Them. And another point about the special session is not just is not just Brian Kemp, who again at the debate last week said that he would not resign from his office as the the state's top elections uh, uh, overseer, uh, but it's also other statewide state ele- uh, office holders who might be in a runoff. Look, there might be a Secretary of State's runoff, and Brad Raffensperger hasn't resigned from his, his role as the state representative, so he wouldn't be able to raise cash. Trisha Pridemore. Um, who is an incumbent public service commissioner, if she's in a runoff, she wouldn't be able to raise cash. Right. Uh, and Brian right. Kemp, look, it might not just be a week. At, at the very minimum, it's five days. But, it, you know, sure. if, there's, if there's some other thorny issues to come up, it could be more than five days. And we won't – and the General Assembly will have to, you know, 
make this momentous these momentous decisions without Jason Spencer, who's already resigned. So you know, I don't know, I don't know how I don't know how they're going to get through the session without him. How do we get fired? So there was a lot of you mentioned earlier um, the TV ads and the and the flyers. We've seen a lot. I mean, twelve million dollars has been spent just on TV ads alone. Was, I think Are, that was September, though. I think that was just September. That was through, it, yeah. That was that was that was for most of September and October. Yeah, we're That's just the governor's race. And we're going to see yeah. a lot more in the last week and a half, right? Or week or so. You're, you're right. And that's just the governor's race. And that includes about a million dollars from NRA, about $800,000 um, from a group called Power Pack that's supporting um, Stacey Abrams. You're going to see a lot more money flooding in. And that doesn't even include ACLU is putting money in. Yeah, yeah. It, ACLU is. And remember, every town, which is a gun safety group, has spent a lot of money backing Lucy McBath, bid for Congress. Right. And their ads are very interesting because they're not about, for the most part, not about guns. It's about the economy. It's about, but other, other, um, you know, non-social issues, non-gun-related issues. Um, so we're going to see a lot more, and we're seeing these really nasty flyers too from both parties. Uh, Democrats are sending out flyers, making Brian Kemp looking out to be some backward Neanderthal. Uh, Republicans are sending out flyers, making Stacey Abrams out to be a communist. There's, there's one that shows her in a very Stalin-esque type. Of, of, of image with like a radiant sun coming out of her. her yeah, 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 yeah. So Mal, a Mal, no did she have a Mao hat on or like, you know, you know a I kind of red I book? I kind of thought it was more <laughs> Stalin than Mao, but maybe or I'm Stalin? not really okay. up yeah. alert. I don't know. Yeah. I thought Stalin. Um, but it says she's no comrade of ours, so there's just a lot of divisive rhetoric <laughs> going out uh, right now, a lot of mud. I was wondering how much further they were going to go radical socialists, so I guess, you know, that answers the question that Radical socialism isn't, isn't, isn't gone far enough, so we need to go. We need to go Stalinist. <laughs> yeah, the, the radical line is the one that the Republicans are repeating. And look, this is not a new thing. Brian Kemp, I, I'll, I'll never forget this. The unity rally the Republicans held two days after he won the runoff. It was just a, an attack, mostly an attack on Stacey Abrams, where not just not just Kemp, but pretty much every standard bearer in the Republican Party, except for I think Governor Deal. Um, called her an extremist, a radical, uh, an out of touch, a right. creature of California, you name it. And that's been the, uh, the, the mantra from, from, from the Republican ticket um, from then on. There, there's been certainly some positive ads, and, and, and not to say that Brian Kemp isn't talking about his policies, but even right. on the campaign trail, it's his policies and why she'd be dangerous. Yeah, yeah, and his yeah, yeah, and it's it, and that you, I mean, that has shown up on in pretty much every. Uh, it's been it's been interesting, you know, the issue stories we do, for instance. Uh, they both will talk about their issues, but there is a little bit of like we get we have to throw in that she's a radical. To you know, even even if you're talking about something like uh, as mundane as or, or not mundane, but as 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 sausage making as redistricting, um, it's. It's, um, you know, we do a better job. Here's why. Oh, and by the way, Stacey Abrams is a radical. Um, so it, it is kind of like, uh, you know, it's messaging. It's, it's making sure that that sticks in their voters' minds, that if they don't come out to vote, you're going to have a radical uh, running state government. And the counter message from Democrats is, 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 is it's a somewhat similar thread. It's Stacey Abrams is the best person for, for, for governor. She's the best. For, and, and, oh, by right. the way, he's a voter suppressor. And we actually saw that just the other day. There was, there was a question about um, absentee ballot applications that weren't being delivered in DeKalb County. 
um, by local elections officials. Well, DeKalb County is the bluest county in Georgia by far. Democrats dependent on a giant turnout in DeKalb County if C.C. Abrams has any chance of winning the, the governor's race. And DeKalb County elections officials are all appointed by by county yeah. officials, which are Democrats complaining Democrat. about Democrats. Yeah, Democrats complaining <laughs> so, about Democrats suppressing the vote. Okay, there you go. Yeah, so there's just a lot of that going back and forth, and I and uh, of course, it's, yeah. it's, it's, this is this is the time where it has to go off. This is the yep. time where voters are, are paying most attention. So you're going to hear a lot of that rhetoric. So just keep that in mind as you're hearing the attacks from both 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 sides of the race. And as we mentioned too, you know, Stacey Abrams. Um, had been somewhat, you know, for the most part, running a, a pretty positive campaign, not really taking any shots at her opponent. Well, in the last couple of weeks, that's changed. Um, she, she's, she's kind of gotten off the sidelines on, on that front. And, and at her campaign stuff, she is not holding back at all. Um, she's criticizing Brian Kemp's uh, uh, policies, just like he's criticizing her. So, so they're both trying right. to highlight a really, a really big contrast over issues. And you name it, there's, there's, there's a contrast. Education, Every issue, social uh, issues, yeah. abortion, except fiscal Del- policy. Except budget. the Delta tax. There's no contract. Except for the Delta tax. <laughs> Everyone's on board. And trust me, I have a good feeling the Delta was pretty happy to, to, to hear yeah. that part at the, the yeah. end of the yes, debate. Yes, they were. <laughs> Well, we mentioned some of the, um, the other down-ticket races and the possibility of, of, of a runoff. Um, what, what my hunch is is that um, for the most part, the, I mean, the governor's race is looking like it, it's going to be a, one of the closest races. For the most part, we've, the, the few polls we've seen show other down-ticket Republicans running ahead of, 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 of their Democratic opponents by a, a slightly bigger margin. Um, right. You know, the wild card could still be the public service commissioner race and the secretary of state's races because those races are getting a little bit less attention. And because John Barrow, who's running as a Democrat for secretary of state, um, has, is bucking his, his party's trend instead of running as a progressive, he is sticking to very, very centrist uh, messages. His, his first TV ad was pretty much all about how he's a centrist Democrat. It shows him wearing blue jeans and a, and a denim shirt in front of a cow pasture saying, uh, saying that he's, he's been a centrist Democrat all along, and he ends it with, I'm a Democrat, but I won't bite you. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I, I mean, some of these, I mean, yeah, there's, there's a few races like that one where, where there's actually, it, it's competitive because both sides have the money to be competitive, right? I mean, the, 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 the classic example is the insurance commissioner's race where um, one candidate has raised 40 times, the Republican candidate, Jim Beck, has raised 40 times as much money as the Democrat in that race um, and has the backing of a lot of the uh, insurance and small loan industry people who we will regulate if elected. So th- those kind of races, it's harder to gauge. It's hard to gauge whether the Dem- whether Democrats have a chance other than the possibility that there is a uh, um, you know wave of, of Democratic uh, Democrats just you know sweep, which we haven't really seen any evidence that that could happen. But you know, 2004, or excuse me, 1994, Newt Gingrich had the contract on America, and Republicans swept a whole bunch of places, including in some seats in uh, um, some positions in in Georgia where a Republican had never won a race. So there's always that mm-hmm. possibility. But it, it, there are several of these statewide races where. It's, it, 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 you know, just looking at it doesn't appear competitive because the, the Democrat in the race just has, has no money. 
so they have to hope that uh, you know Stacey Abrams you know carries them across the line, um, and and uh, whereas the Republicans all I mean a number of these Republicans you know Chris Carr Attorney General, if you look at his donor list, you could almost match it up with Jeff Duncan and Brian Kemp. I mean the, the establishment political establishment in the state is completely behind him. Um, so that, you know, that, and that's what I think you're seeing then in a lot of state races. And I think that's also why you're seeing Republicans, you know, kind of use the Trump model in 16. Trump was able to carry the state by five points despite losing metro Atlanta suburbs because he had such giant margins in rural areas. And clearly, um, Brian Kemp's done two bus tours now uh, in the last, um, in, in this month. He's about to do his third uh, for the final stretch. But his first two bus tours pretty much uh, avoided all Metro Atlanta. Uh, I mean, the closest he got to Metro Atlanta was Cartersville and Newnan, which, 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 you know, which aren't in the heart of the, the right. city. Um, and, and he's going to these Republican areas where he's trying to drive out turnout, just like Stacey Abrams is trying to drive out a lot of turnout in, in bluer parts of the state. Uh, but that leaves a big question mark about the suburbs, you know, about, about areas like, like the 6th District, which, which used to be solidly conservative and now are bigger question marks. They're still held by Republicans, but it's a lot tighter margins. How will, how will those areas fall on Election Day? They, they, they still could go Republican, but they, they might be a lot closer um, than ever before. And, um, you know, the top of the ticket, you haven't seen, uh, that will probably change with Brian Kemp's final bus tour, but he hasn't been spending a, an awful lot of time in Metro and his suburbs. One of, the, one of the rare events he did have in the suburbs was Marco Rubio last week. Um, the Florida senator, of course, ran for president in 2016 and did really well in Metro Atlanta suburbs. He only won, uh, I think, four counties in, the, in Georgia in the 2016 primary, and those were DeKalb, Fulton, Cobb, and Athens-Clark County, so two, two left-leaning, um, four left-leaning uh, suburbs, uh, or, and plus Athens. Um, so that's where, that's where Brian Kemp has, you know, made a sort of a rarer foray into the suburbs. Not his only right. one, but he isn't spending too much time there. So it would be really interesting to see how, how establishment Republicans sort of see both these candidates, um, because Brian Kemp, of course, ran really far to the right early on. Right. He's moving back to the center right. now, but, and, you know, do they still and, love him? And, yeah, I mean, two of the counties I, I, I'll be interested to look at, um, and, and it'll speak kind of, I think, to the future of metro Atlanta politics will be Cobb County, which has you know been Republican forever um, and and is I've, I've kind of you know had has both elements of very very conservative uh, Republican um, party members or party supporters and then also establishment people I mean there's many long time politicians that are from uh, you know Marietta and Cobb County and then Gwinnett County where which I, I'll, I'll be really interested to see because Gwinnett County was the county that that Hillary Clinton won in 2016 uh, when I came here in 1990 the delegation uh, in Gwinnett County was I, 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 I seem to remember in the legislature was was majority uh, conservative Democrat um, mm-hmm. the, the 92 I think it was an 82 election it might have been the 90 election but 90 or 92 election it's like just completely flipped to all Republican. And it's interesting. There's, there's, it's, this will be an interesting year because there's a lot of, there's a, a lot of a open seats um, in Gwinnett County of long-time legislators who are not coming back um, this time. So there's, and, and there's a lot of competitive seats where Democrats think they're going to, you know, uh, pick up 
pick up the positions, and they very well may be because the demographics of that county has, have changed so dramatically. So it'll be interesting to see if the as we go forward, because that's, that's also a county that will continue to shift demographically to being uh, minority majority. Um, what that says about this the governor's race and what kind of margins that Stacey Abrams um, pulls in that county. I think you're exactly right. If Democrats, you know, if you put a gun to a, a, a Democratic operative's head and you say, what's your most important, um, what, what's your top target? Because DeKalb is, is still the most important Democratic county, but what's your top right. target? It's, it's Gwinnett County. Um, we did a story earlier this year. Uh, Gwinnett County had the highest jump in Democratic voter participation uh, since the last open gubernatorial election in 2010 of any other county in the state. And it's also right. one of the most populous counties of the state. So if Democrats yeah. can, can put, put Gwinnett County on their, in their column, but in 2020, they, if Gwinnett County stays blue, um, it says a lot for, uh, for the future of, of Metro Annapolis. Yeah, that, that county is, mm-hmm. I was going to say, you, need, you think about that county, that, that county is a, uh, it, uh, it has had like a all- white all republican like you know kind of commission and school board for i mean school board the, the school district there has been majority minority i think for quite a, for at least several years and yet it, it has had a you know republican um white uh, school board for instance running it so the the shift has been really it's it's like you can see it coming in gwinnett county but it's you know this may be the year, and like, as you said, 2020 may be the, the follow-up year where you see the political change. And this is also a big deal for the congressional races. Ever since John Ossoff lost the special election for the 6th District last year, I've heard national and, and state analysts say, okay, 6th District is going to be competitive, but keep an eye what might be closer is the 7th District. And the 7th District includes a big chunk of, of Gwinnett County and a big chunk of Forsyth County. And Rob Woodall, the, the incumbent, is facing a really stiff challenge from Carolyn Bordeaux, the uh, Democrat. And Woodall said himself, hey, if my county was, if my district was just Gwinnett, I'd, I'd be sunk. I'd be in real yeah. trouble. But because it has half of Forsyth County, and a part of Forsyth County it has went 80% for Donald Trump. I mean, a huge margin for Donald Trump. Yeah, that'll be, that'll be one of the most interesting districts, if not the most interesting district, in 2021 when the legislature, which probably will still be Republican. I mean, the chances are very high that it'll still be Republican legislature redraws political lines because he's going to be, he's, if he's still in office, he's going to be coming here saying like, Hey, can you help me out boys? I mean, because that's, that's, they're going to need to uh, uh, probably change the makeup of that district a little bit if he's going to stay in office. And that brings up an interesting final question. You've been looking into how both candidates would, would handle those redrawing of the lines because whoever's elected governor um, in, in, in a week, we'll have the final say on uh, on those those legislative maps. Presumably, if the judges, if the judicial system doesn't doesn't have the final say, it'll be the governor that has the final say. Um, what what do you what did you learn about their different approaches to how they would read yeah. these political maps? I think I think um, I mean I think uh, Brian Kemp would take kind of um, a traditional role uh, of governor. Um, as I said. The, the, unless there's just the you know uh, tight, you know titanic change uh, that that um, that occurs in this election and or 2020, um, the Republicans will hold the the 
will hold the legislature will hold the ability to to have the majority and, and draw the lines. And the governors and everybody who's been involved in the process tells me the governor has a, has a pretty strong role in that. And so and so if you have a Republican legislature and Republican governor, they're they're going to work together to preserve to to draw lines that preserve uh, Republican uh, or help them control the legislature to you know, 20 into the 2030s. Stacey Abrams will say that she, she wants, will, will work for fair maps, but, but fairness will be if she gets 51% of the vote, for instance, and wins with 51% of the vote, she's going to expect um, draw, lines to be drawn that reflect kind of the, how the vote went. Or, or just, you know, she's, she's not, she's going to want to say, she's not going to say, you know, we're going to get 75% of the, the Democrats are going to get 75% of seats. We're going to figure a way to do that, which I don't know you could, but, it, you know, she's saying we're going to have, we're going to draw them in such a way that they uh, reflect the the kind of the bigger picture vote of the, of the state. Because, I mean, right after the 2011 um Redistricting. I mean, I think it was probably close to two thirds of the seats, if not two thirds, of the seats were Republicans. Well, 66% of the vote in Georgia is not Republican. It's not Democrat either. So, I mean, it, the 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 make of the legislature did not, in in that, in a kind of a broader sense of the state vote, did not reflect the 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 sentiment of the the, mm-hmm. the general vote in the legislature. And the the other thing is. I've had Republican legislators say, yeah, but if she gets elected um, and the Republican legislature comes through and says, you know, we're going to have this, we're going to have seats that are, I don't know, 60, 40 Republican, uh, that, that we, you know, we still have a clear dominance and we're going to fix it so that, you know, we're not going to have to worry about uh, the demographic changes. She, you know, then she, you'd be thinking, well, she'll veto the map. It'll go to the federal courts. And their argument is federal courts are going to go, are going to make, um, are going to do their best to follow the will of the legislature, or or as long as you know, as long as the legislature do you know crazy stuff like run a district from Kennesaw to St. Simon's Island or something, um, uh, you know, as long as as long as which, the, which we've the almost seen before, <laughs> the, the Cynthia McKinney district, yep. <laughs> congressional district that went from DeKalb to uh, Savannah, yeah, Savannah, along well, 920, we, yeah, <laughs> yep. Yep, well, exactly. that that will be a subject of a lot of podcasts in 2021 yep. <laughs> for, for us after the 2020 census comes out. Um, but for now, we've got a, 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 a very close race. And our next episode will actually focus on the very last, the second and final TV debate um, for this gubernatorial contest, which will be held this Sunday before the election. So tune in for that, tune in for that on WSB TV. And Follow myjc.com, politicallygeorgia.com, and ajc.com uh, for all the latest on the governor's race because there's a lot more twists and turns to yeah. come. Read the, pa- read the paper. Thanks for, uh, thanks for joining me yet again for one of our final pre-election. Uh, well, maybe not final because if there's a runoff, ah, but final yeah. pre-general election uh, podcast. We can be optimistic. Thank you. <laughs> thanks, man. Well, that's all for this week's edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. Head to AJC.com forward slash politics to subscribe to Politically Georgia. You'll get access to our daily newsletter, along with all of our stories and updates on all things Georgia politics. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and rate us. It really means a lot to us when you do. And as always, thank you for listening.
Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, the Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter.